Hi, welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and with me today is renowned First Amendment. I say renowned because he saved my ass three times. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take it. That's Ted Boutros, who's with us uh, to talk a little bit about the First Amendment, uh, Donald Trump's claims of First Amendment privilege, and then real First Amendment problems going on the, in the press. So we'll take a short break, and when we come back, we'll unpack all that and much more. So stick around. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and with me is, uh, I am going to say renowned again, First Amendment right attorney, you know. Ted Boutros. I, I love it. It's, it's, <laughs> it just rolls off the tongue, Ted. So Ted's with us to talk a little bit about recent claims of uh, that Donald Trump has had of First Amendment privilege in the uh, many cases that he, well, the four cases that he faces, felony, 91 felony charges in four different jurisdictions. And his claims of First Amendment uh, ability to say what he wants. Uh, and in the meantime, uh, there are two real cases we want to unpack that affect uh, the First Amendment and free speech and the press. So, Ted, let's start with uh, start with the Donald, of course. He, he's making claims that uh, he, he's being, well, he doesn't seem to, under, or I know he does understand the process of how you get charged by, by a, a grand jury, but he's pretending that he doesn't. But he's saying that what it amounts to, especially in the uh, case down in Georgia, and to some extent the case in uh, to do with January sixth, is that look he was just he was just ex- expressing himself using his free speech rights, a- and I'd like you to uh, talk a little bit about that if you can. It's really outrageous, Brian, that someone who has been a First Amendment wrecking ball like Donald Trump, no one has gone to gone to greater lengths to try to injure the First Amendment. trying to strip you of your press pass, Jim Acosta of his press pass. Luckily, we were able to stop them both times. Uh, President, former President Trump wants to make it easier to sue for libel. He's filed, you know, a a blizzard of libel claims, including when he was a public, uh, uh, the president. And after being president, he sued his niece for $100 million. One of my other clients, Mary Trump, uh, he is a First Amendment abomination. And so for him now to be claiming First Amendment protection for seeking to overthrow a democratic election and and, and our democracy basically is absurd. And I don't think that he has a leg to stand on. The, the First Amendment 
does not protect fraud. And, you know, fraud is speech. You, you lie, right. you trick someone, uh, you deceive them of something. And here he was trying to deceive the voters of their rights to elect the president of their choice. So it's it's laughable. It, well, Norm Eisen, and, and I know you you know who Norm is, and, yes. and you may know him, but Norm was saying, look, it's not his speech, it's his actions that he took, the defrauding, the you know, trying to defraud people. But to to the, the point about speech, what I, I think sometimes people misunderstand what the First Amendment is and does. And, you know, like, I, I, you know, they say, well, look, somebody told Donald Trump to shut up, and that's, that's basically denying him his free speech. And, and I go, no, it's, if the government it moves in an official action like to take away your press pass or mm -hmm. to to keep muzzle you and not allow you to ask questions when the government moves against you that's that that's where your free speech that's the first amendment otherwise it's just two assholes arguing <laughs> you put your finger on something that i find very troubling and something that we as a country need to address that the meaning of the first amendment has been completely distorted so to start with square and you're absolutely right the first amendment protects us from governmental action to squelch or stop speech interfere with speech require a particular message the purpose of the first amendment is to allow citizens like us to get the information we need through open wide open robust debate and back and forth with each other and with the government so we can govern ourselves and make decisions about how to govern ourselves as, as citizens in a democracy. And when you and I tell each other to shut up or we we argue that those are private citizens, private conversations. When Twitter says, or for X formerly known as Twitter says, <laughs> we don't, we're taking you off our platform because you're saying d dangerous, false things we don't like. That's their right. Uh, people don't understand that. Uh, people also don't under understand that there's no absolute First Amendment right to lie and to deceive. And that kind of brings us back to to, to Donald Trump. And, the, and you're absolutely right. Norm Eisen is right. The criminal indictments are for a, a scheme to subvert the Constitution, to recruit false electors, to um, overthrow the vote of the people. And the fact that speech was used in that context, I think his lawyer, one of his lawyers, Trump's lawyer said that uh, his his request that they find more votes or to get new electors or to to check, to overthrow the election were just aspirational requests. And that's like, and you know, everybody has their own favorite analogy. Mine is, you know, a mugger comes up to you with a gun and says, give me your money. And then when he is charged, he says, hey, I was just, you know, aspiring for equality, income equality. You know, <laughs> it's ridiculous. But there's this misunderstanding that about what the First Amendment means and its protections. The protections are not absolute, including in the defamation you context. You know, you you saw the Fox Dominion settlement that New York Times versus Sullivan, which has the actual malice standard imposed yep. in cases to protect journalists and everybody from being sued for libel uh, to, to chill their speech is not absolute. The standards can be met. So there's a balancing there, but it's com become completely, it's a distortion field that I think is really bad for our democracy. Well, you touch on something I'd really wanted to dig into a little bit too, and that was the, the, his claim and his, and his minions and his followers and his cult members claim that the First Amendment is absolute that I have an absolute, 
And and I keep pointing out, you know, the obvious one that everyone points to is you can't yell fire in a crowded theater mm -hmm. if there's no fire. But if you can talk a little bit more about the limits, what what are the limits in in First Amendment free speech? There are a number of limits on speech. We have, I think, the, the greatest protections for free speech of any country. But one is you can't incite violence, immediate violence. And, and it really, the special counsel did not Hello. charge President Trump with doing that specifically, but he uses the January 6th call to action as part of the charges in the, Jan I'll call it the January 6th indictment. I think he had a strong argument that President Trump crossed the line there, but you can't incite imminent violence against the government or against other other people. But it's a it's a it's a very has to be a very close connection that ties into the shouting fire in a crowded theater, doing something that is um, going to incite or create danger, very imminently tied to your speech. Uh, there's also restrictions on false speech, so fraud. If you lie to deceive someone of their rights or their voting rights, for example, in the special counsel's indictment in Washington or of money, that's fraud. And the First Amendment doesn't protect that. Uh, there's defamation claims where right. if I say something knowing, uh, let me back up for a second. There's a big division in the First Amendment between speech about matters of public concern and then just private speech. So if uh, about a private citizen. So if I, uh, I, I accuse a public figure or a politician of something that they did wrong, and I don't know it's false, and I'm not recklessly dis disregarding evidence that it's false, generally I would be protected under the law of defamation because we want the public to be able to hold public officials and public figures in power accountable, like what you do all the time, asking those questions at the press conferences and posing uh, the, 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 the issues of the day to politicians. If it's a private dispute, if it's a private citizen, then uh, their negligence can, can be applied by some states. You can't go around just saying false, malicious things or bad things about your neighbor. And, then, and so the First Amendment might not protect you there. So there are limits, but there's a, a wide swath of speech that's protected by the First Amendment. And there's, and, and of course, lying on a stand. I mean, you can speak. Hey, exactly. Another perjury, lying yeah. to Congress, lying to a special prosecutor, lying to uh, a government official can be criminalized. And and so it's the, the, the notion that Donald Trump could say anything and do anything and be immune from it if it was meant to subvert the Constitution. It was knowingly false. It, it, it just is silly. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> to, to sum it up, to put a fine point on it, it's silly. It's it's silly. <laughs> no, no, get to the point. Let's. Yeah, get, I, I know you like that. Yeah, don't don't, <laughs> don't beat around the bush. I'm gonna just ask the question. Good answer. No, thank you. <laughs> but but nonetheless, here we are. It, it, and he's convinced a great many people. Or you know, he, he had 71 million or 74 million voters last election, and his base is maybe smaller, but still quite large, um, believe this. How, how do you how do you argue that with people or do you even try? Well, two two things. I think this goes to a, a funda another fundamental problem that Donald Trump, through constant barrage of criticisms of the press, 
of calling the press the enemy of the people, of saying news is fake, has convinced large swaths of people and, and, and even some outside the MAGA world, but who yes. you would think would know better, that all news and all journalism is untrustworthy, particularly from some of the greatest news organizations in the world. Yes. And that undermines the public's ability to get actual factual information. And that the undermines- goal. It, exactly. And then we have the, the whole world of disinformation, the, the just absolutely false, crazy conspiracy theories and the like being injected into the information stream. So you have people who believe the crazy stuff and then disbelieve the journalism that comes from reporters like you and, you know, just I can't tell you how much I admire the journalists in this country, just digging up information. People don't know what journalists do. It's hard and it's factual. And it's just you go in and you try and find out the information. They don't people don't believe that Donald Trump's supporters distrust and, and mock the actual purveyors of factual information that they should know about. They can make up their own minds about what to do with it. So right. it's a dangerous, combustible mixture that really threatens the foundations of democracy, which depends on people taking information and making rational decisions in order to govern ourselves as a, as people in a democracy. So it, that's what, that's the danger. We have, we are in a uh, fantasy land, many people, and I'll just say it, they're, they're, they're believing crazy things and they don't want to look at what the truth is. And I'm using that in my column. I'm writing good, it down. Good. It's all yours. Take it. <laughs> Dangerous fantasy land. But it's true. <laughs> and it, I I mean, I got into this business wanting to be, you know, a, a witness, a, you know, sit, seated in the front, mm -hmm. a witness to history and to see things myself and tell everyone else what went on. And regardless of, you know, politics or anything else, just here's what happened, guys. And um, we depend on people like you because we can't do our job without the support, especially as litigious as this country has become. Uh, so I, I guess, you know, I, you know, I've talked often about it, I guess, but what drove you to, to, to take first amendment law and go with it somewhere? I mean, cause that's without, uh, like I said, God bless you, Mazel Tov, without you, we'd be nowhere. I'm a very, very big fan of journalism and what, journalists do. It's really interesting because what journalists do and what lawyers do ha has a lot in common, right? Yeah. You ask questions, okay. you search for the truth, you you know, question the powerful, you, um, you, you try to understand what happened uh, in a certain circumstance and then explain it. And then you write. And, and then you have this fusion where there's freedom of the press written into the First Amendment of the Constitution. That's another thing people forget about. It's in the First Amendment, freedom yeah. of the press, because yeah, yeah. that is a uh, crucial part of democracy, that we have an institution that can be, serve as a check on the government and get information to the public acting as the public surrogate. And so as a lawyer, to be able to be part of the journalistic process by protecting the rights of journalists to do their job is it doesn't get any better than that and and that's what attracted me and i'm a big i've always been a big consumer of of journalism of all types so it's been a, a great part of my career to be able to work with reporters like you and others 
And it, it's a way to play a role in protecting our country and our democracy. Look, again, I tend to actually be pretty apolitical, like whatever, let the chips fall where they're made, right? Like, you know, Republicans, Democrats, but we have over the last six, seven, eight years, the the democracy, the 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 fair playing field for people to make their decisions has been corrupted. And that has made me more willing to jump in and fight these battles. But representing journalists, there you're just trying to protect the rights of Brian Karam or Jim Acosta or Maggie Haberman or others to do their jobs and to report and get the facts. And then we can all decide what it means. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that was before we go to break, because I'm using this as a as a, a pedestal to jump into the, the, the two cases that really matter. But when you talk about that, it's it's the idea that, you know, you go back to the Constitution, Congress shall make no law. Uh, respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press. And they did it at a time when the press was not uh, what it is today. Each party had its own press and Mm -hmm. each party had it and it was very divisive. But the idea of providing that grew out of that was providing vetted factual information from which we all can then decide what our opinions are. And and that's been eroded and dissolved to where now people are back to deciding which facts they believe in and which facts are real. And that's I I to 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 I guess to put it in a nutshell, that sucks because it, it, if we can't agree on what the facts are, we're never going to find common ground, right? Absolutely. And if you think about it, it really is irrational because we have the greatest ability ever to learn what the facts are in the history of humankind right now. We have this enormous information system. We have uh, the you know ability to see things around the world from our home. We can gather information, yet people are, instead of focusing on real information, being attracted to conspiracy theories. That is terrible. We need a reset. I keep calling for a First Amendment teach-in, some sort of realignment where we we just get people to be rational and sensible. Again, like you said, back when the at the founding of the, the country, there were wild journalistic claims and opinions and malicious attacks and libel. You know, there that's not new, but the 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 inability to get people to at least agree on the factual playing field, then begin the debate is a real problem, especially when the facts are right there in front of you. Well, yeah, and that's what you talked about, about a, a t- you know, I thank you, by the way, for helping me publicize the book, which is now in its third printing. Yes. <laughs> but in Free the Press, that's what I was talking about is we've got to go back and bust up some media monopolies, teach people what the First Amendment is, is about, um, it reinstitute the fair, but they're all kind of, but I started out with in the book is the president needs a blue ribbon commission to sit and talk and get people to understand what it is that we do. And I, I can't, I, I stress that all the time and there just seems to be no interest in doing it. Well, maybe I, I like that idea a lot because I think, you know, there's a lot of talk, you know, with academics, with lawyers, you know, like at conferences and like, there's, you know, so many great lawyers and professors who just know the first amendment, but having the backing of the government talk about these issues, because in a sense, you know, the, the government doesn't, whoever's the president, you know this better than anybody, they don't really like having an aggressive press coming at them. But the <laughs> president, right? 
It does, President Biden, he's he he's not in love with the press corps. You can no. tell he's he's cranky. He and and you know President Obama wasn't exactly you know in a love uh -uh. affair. But at least they were understood the reason we have the First Amendment and freedom of the press. It's to keep make them uncomfortable, to keep them on their toes, to keep them from doing corrupt things like create fake electors and yeah. corrupt the justice department and overthrow the democracy and tell supporters to go storm the storm the capital to yeah, hang the vice by president combat. That's, that's right trial by combat exactly and so i think i love the idea of a blue ribbon commission or something where the government says we believe so much in freedom of the press we want to protect it even though it's something that is a check on presidential that's power yeah. Uh, so let's let's make it happen. I'm in. I, I, I you know, Jamie Raskin, I, I think you can get a lot of people on, but because it's destroyed. And this is where we're leading to. We'll take a break after this, but it's destroying what's left of the independent community press, fast news deserts across this country. Mm -hmm. And most national stories start out as local stories. That's how you find out about them first. And that backbone of journalism has been eroded, destroyed and taken away. And on that note, we'll take a short break. <laughs> when we come back, we'll talk about a couple of those problems. So stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, JATQ Podcast. That's JATQ Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I'm your host, Brian Kerman. With me is First Amendment attorney, Ted Boutros, and we're talking about the challenges of the First Amendment. We started out talking, Ted, about uh, about the biggest challenge we have to free speech in this country, Donald Trump. But let's talk about one of the longest, um, longest, longstanding problems that we have in the press. And I'll start with, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, two cases, one in Kansas, one in in uh minnesota or wisconsin wisconsin right? wisconsin thank you I, I i myself can and i and i and i i covered that so yes it's the age it's getting you first told me about it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so in kansas police raided a newsroom at the marion county record and they spent a week dealing with the aftermath and they uh, the owner's mother apparently died uh you know stressed by this they seized records and computers and phones all over basically what amounted to be and i'm going to say the word bullshit it was a it was a widely condemned as a, a press freedom violation but it's what's going on in community journalism across this country there's very little uh support for it and when you have an oppressive uh i want to say military presence but police presence who want to go after you and you find a friendly judge in this case a judge that had a few tuis under her belt <laughs> and was and didn't like the DUI aspect of the stories they were investigating, this can come back to haunt a small newspaper. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Well, it really is symbolic, isn't it? Can you yeah. imagine anything more symbolic of the, the 
attacks on and the the demise of local journalistic entities to have basically the like stormtroopers go into the 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 newsroom to seize computers to seize their journalistic material then go to the home of the owner and his mother who i think was the co-owner she was 98 yeah. years old there's i don't know if you've seen the video nbc posted it of the search of her house and she's man she should be like the new first amendment beacon because she's yeah. telling him get out of here i think she was a journalist she was a co-owner and they're in there rifling through her home and then her son says that the doctor said she died like the next day as part partly because of that stress but boy she was fighting against the authorities who were trying to intrude on journalism and at the local level and this marion county record as you point out um it was a small newspaper in a small community but it was aggressive and it would cover public officials police you know, uh, powerful figures within the community. And it looks like they just decided they didn't like what the newspaper yeah, was doing. And there was no basis for do, for for searching or doing anything to that newspaper. They were engaged, at, at worst case scenario, they were engaged in news gathering. There's a federal statute that says that that is unlawful, except in the most extraordinary circumstances. If you, if a reporter had murdered someone and was in there, yeah. and they, you know, then you can go in. But if it's if it's a search for information connected to news gathering, federal law makes it illegal. And I think the Marion County attorney has now admitted and agreed, and they with they're going to get back the materials. So it, it's but outrageous. The damage is done. The damage is done, and what it shows you is how the institutions of journalism and i know people think oh talking about institutions is bad institutions their power that we got we got to bring them down no as a society we need institutions we need to make yes. them good we need to protect them make them honest that's what journalists do and journalists need to check on them and there is a check on them we are able to see real time now what journalists are saying uh in social media there's they're on tv there there's a lot more transparency you know this better than i do into what journalistic entities are doing. Yep. But going back to your point, local journalism, I'm on the board the board of the Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press, and one of our big initiatives is protecting and fostering and rejuvenating local journalism. That's in part well, by- any way I can help, you know I'm in, because I absolutely. have a community newspaper. I years. remember that. Yeah, and, and the, the Reporters Committee and 34 news organizations sent a letter immediately to Marion County explaining why this was illegal, explaining you know why it needed to be rectified immediately. But but one of the missions of the reporters committee is to help rejuvenate and protect these jewels of our democracy. Lo like you said, the local reporters, I grew up in Bismarck, North Dakota, and the Bismarck Tribune, it would have AP stories and Reuters and news service stories on national issues, but it would have great stories about the community about the local yes. government about mm -hmm. what's happening in the community about the people in the community and then that engages the community in their their local politics their local community their churches their schools and that's our system it's supposed to be a federalist system where the the local entities the state entities we build out to the federal system and part of that you need information going to the local people about their own world and as we've seen these local these state and local newspapers go under for lack of financial support um 
it, that's been that's being destroyed. Well, I'll, I'll I'll go further. It's it's not only a lack of financial support; it's a, a concerted effort by government to destroy the means by which to gather information. Right. By removing like public notice ads and public service ads, which in some small community newspapers are a sizable chunk of the income, and it also makes governments responsive to the public instead of putting on their private <clears throat> server or you know printing their own private newspaper of what the government is doing, <clears throat> they have to uh, pay to put ads of you know notices like here's when you know the estate sales are and here's you know when uh the court is meeting and here's what's on the agenda for sunday nights you know uh, a city council meeting all of that they've taken away that revenue and then they've also at the same time hamstring uh uh in, in small communities hamstring the uh uh, journalists and the small newspapers by sometimes increasing the taxes that they have to pay. So it's it's increasing the cost of production, lowering uh, the income, and therefore a 40-year concerted effort to destroy it. And and here's the reason why. I, and this is from NPR. Last year, the record, we're talking about the Marion record, reported on irregularities on the location of a housing development project supported by the city. Uh, the, the editor was summoned into a private meeting where... <laughs> He demanded some answers about this stuff, and their response was, you shouldn't ask those questions. That's what government is trying right. to prevent. And by destroying small newspapers, look, there. I always use Montgomery County, uh, Maryland, where I live, as a, an example. When I first moved to Montgomery County, Maryland, there were two community newspapers, weeklies, one daily newspaper, and the Washington Post, as well as three radio stations that covered a county of a million people. Today, all of them are gone, except mm. the Washington Post has one reporter. There are four or five different communities, small cities in that county, and there are no reporters covering county council meetings or city council unbelievable. meetings. Unbelievable. It's so unbelievable. Yeah, that's the, that's what we're facing, these fast news deserts that that ha where there's no news coming out. And look, whether you're right or left, the things that we all care about are the roads being paved. Oh, why is there a red light camera over there? What's going on in the schools? What's on the lunch menu? Oh, by the way, what's happening in high school football? Right. I mean, all the community stuff that has little to do with politics. And, and I would add what's happening in the courts. So yes, in, uh, absolutely. Court, courthouse reporting. And I see it's it gone. Uh, in my it's it's gone in, in California, up and down the coast in Los Angeles. Uh major proceedings will happen and and sometimes there won't be any reporters there and yeah. and i've seen i had seen it in the heyday and i think about the santa barbara news press gone yeah. and it went back i was representing all the news organizations in the michael jackson criminal trial getting access to the proceedings and to the pleadings and the hearings and the trial and the santa barbara news press was a vigorous excellent news organization with reporters on the ground who did great work and now it's gone. It, yeah. they, they are, you know, it, it's it, and, and Santa Barbara, there's a lot going on there. There are rich, powerful people there that that need to be covered. And Los Angeles, same, same type of issues. And and so it's it's a real, real problem. And and it goes back to the bigger picture that we started with, that government officials don't like to be scrutinized in what they're doing. If yes. it's if the from the top down, if the president and former president and members of Congress in the Senate are saying that journalists are bad, that they're the enemy of the people, that all news is fake, that trickles down. It cascades down to local government officials 
who then think they can do anything they want to journalists, like raid the newsroom, like raid the home of the owner and the, his mother. And so it, it all affects the way we the world interacts with journalists. That is really, really a problem for our society. Yeah, I, you know, I, and which then where you, when you tried to jocularly respond, they took away your press pass. Uh, <laughs> so it's about as bad as it gets. If, if you can't respect journalists in I'm the Rose you, Garden, tough room, you know, <laughs> you did a little Rodney Dangerfield impression. And the next thing you knew, you were, you were calling me for legal help, but that just shows, <laughs> right. right? You know, right. <laughs> I, I, well, you know, and between you and me, Ted, and I think we've, I, I, and I've talked about this publicly before there was a, some of the people where I worked were willing to just not do anything about it. And it was, it was, um, you know, I talked to uh, to my buddy Jim, and I said, "Look, I'm going to have to go independent on this. You know, anybody that can help, help." And <laughs> <laughs> I I remember it vividly, Jim reaching out, and then you reaching out, and you and yeah, I had yeah. met before in connection with Jim's yeah, yeah. situation, uh, and. And it, again, it was just that they tried. Oh, yeah. I remember when we met, I said, I'm going to have to keep your number. I know I'm probably going to need it. In the future. You, you did say that. And it turned out to be true. <laughs> and, you know, it was worth the fight because it, 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 we, in Jim Acosta and CNN's case, we won. We got Jim's press pass back when the Trump administration had taken it away it, at the district court level. And then the, the Trump administration gave up. So yeah. we didn't have a published opinion. In your case, it really is meaningful that they, I don't know why they did it, but when we won at the district court level, got the preliminary injunction requiring that your press pass, your hard pass be given back, they appealed and we got such a strong opinion from the DC circuit in Karen versus Trump that that is the precedent now that protects reporters from the DC circuit, unanimous uh, from arbitrary, unreasonable efforts to take away their rights to cover the president of the United States. And that is invaluable. Yeah, I, I do I, say so myself. Yeah, I, and, <laughs> and you're right. <laughs> <laughs> if you say so yourself. Yeah, if, I, if I do say so myself, two Lebanese boys pulled it off. <laughs> exactly, exactly. The re revenge of the Lebanese guys. Yeah, yeah. I you're still going to have to explain to me sometimes how a Lebanese family ended up in Bismarck, North Dakota. They <laughs> took a wrong turn. It's it's <laughs> somewhere along the line, but it was a great place to grow up, so... <laughs> They um, often ask me that about Louisville. How'd you end up right. in the South in Louisville? I go, I don't know. He it, took a wrong turn at Albuquerque. <laughs> it, it just happens, you yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, before we go on to the next case, and we'll we'll take a short break before we do the the, the idea of of seizing Matt seizing. I, I when I was first a, a journalist, this was not only an anathema; it was unthought of. Mm -hmm. You would not walk into a newsroom unless, like you said earlier, you had a, a, a murder warrant. Or in one case, there was a I worked in a place where um, one of the reporters was oh, and you'll love this story was a pimp. And so there you go. They didn't they didn't walk in and seize everything. There were two cops that came in with a warrant for his arrest. And that's different. That, that's different <laughs> right. But to walk into a newsroom and seize and shut down everything. To me, I don't think people understand how damn uh, dangerous that is and the precedence that it sets because- It's, it's terrible. And, and you know the federal law says with journalists, the way you get information is a subpoena. You can't yeah. do a warrant because then journalists can object 
and go to court and get a court ruling. And as you were, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but oh, I really right. feel strongly about this journalistic material as a lawyer. It's like, it's like work product of a lawyer. Yes, it's your exactly. notes. It's your confidential sources. It's, it's the product of all your labors. If other, if your sources think that, well, the government can just come into your newsroom and take it, they're going to be less likely to talk to you. The public will get less information. And that's why, you know, it's really remarkable when you think about it. There's a federal statute, I think it was enacted in 1980, when there was a newsroom search in response to one, and that it applies at the state level, protecting journalists from exactly this sort of intrusion. And it does set a bad precedent. And you see it at the local level, which is why I'm glad you're pointing to this, where there's this loss of respect and understanding of the limits of what the government can do to journalists. That it's a, That's an attack on all of us, on all of our rights, because journalists, if it works the way it's supposed to, are gathering information to give to the public so the public can act on it whatever their views are yeah and well and one of the reasons why it works so well at the local level is let's not forget this was a family-owned business right right but they do not have the deep pockets that yes. cnn or an abc and that adds to the ability for the police to come in and run roughshod over them because they do have deeper pockets than the small independent publishers absolutely and that's that's the frustrating look you know i went to you know as you know i went to jail back in what was it, 90, 91 for for a confidential source. And that went uh, that went to the Supreme Court. There were three, you know, I, I went four daggone times and we were owned by a large corporation that had deep pockets. Had we not had those deep right. pockets, I was done. And I was told that, you know, they right. Had to, right. I, there was a corporate decision to back me. And they said, look, it's if you don't, if we don't back you, you're going to have to find independent counsel, or you're going to have to give up your, your notes. And even then the cops seeking the information did not raid the newsroom. Right. They simply exactly. subpoenaed my notes. Yes. Subpoenaed my tapes, my raw tapes. And we viewed them as you said, perfect. You know, we viewed them as, uh, and Larry Menken was uh, our, our uh, attorney viewed them as, you know, work product much as a, uh, as an attorney views work. product. So we weren't going to give it up. And that was a, a fight and a dance that took place in court, but not once did they ever come in and raid the newsroom. And that to me, that that's such an overt, it's like rape. It's professional rape to me. It's just, it's just the worst, you know, among the worst things you can imagine in terms of flouting the first amendment and freedom of the press, the government coming in and, you know, just taking your, your work. Yeah. And for its own purposes. And and so it it really is dangerous. And, and not and even you know, a the, damn good reason. There was not no without even a re it was a completely bogus claim. And you know, to your point about the having deep pockets, that's one of the things now it com it comes down to for these local groups having organizations. I keep giving a plug, but it's true. The reporters yes. committee and media or uh organizations giving pro bono work to these local journalists and that's really what one of the things we've been um focusing on for exactly the reasons if if the government or private citizens were about to come to this you know in this other case we're going to talk about think they can get away with just drowning you in legal process or trampling on your rights because you won't be able to fight back that emboldens them to do it more 
yeah and and they'll do it that's that's uh, yes so we're going to take a short break and when we come back we're going to talk about this wisconsin uh website and and how deep pockets has really hurt them with you know they're they're still battling a libel suit so stick around we'll be right back hey you yeah you we're talking to you and we need your help as you probably know independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy like everything else it's not free we're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on patreon for the price of a latte you can help guard democracy join us today at patreon.com slash jatq podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I'm your host, Brian Caraman. With me is First Amendment attorney, Ted Boutros, the preeminent First Amendment attorney <laughs> in the United States. And I say that even, not just because he saved my butt three times, <laughs> but Ted is here and we're talking about real challenges to the First Amendment. We started out with a bogus challenge uh, from Donald Trump, and we talked about a real uh, a scary raid in Kansas. But Let's talk a little bit about uh, Wisconsin, um, and I'll I'll let you lead off with that. Yeah, this Wisconsin case is is really really troubling because it shows that even when a small news organization is sued for defamation and wins at the trial court level, well, even without a trial, it can still cause them to possibly even go out of business. This was a a defamation case filed in 2021 in. Wausau, Wisconsin, against the Wausau Pilot and Review. It was a, um, an, an allegation that the owner of a shredding and recycling company um, called a 13-year-old boy, quote, a fag uh, at, a, at, a, at a public meeting. And the, there, there was all sorts of evidence that that happened. The, the newspaper reported it. Um, and the boy's the, mother heard it. The That's boy's the, mother yeah. heard it. Um, and nonetheless, the the, indiv the the individual who was alleged to have said this sued for defamation. Um, the newspaper defended itself. The judge granted summary judgment in its favor. Um, and it won, but it incurred $150,000 in legal fees when it's, I think, annual revenue was something like 180000 And now, the individual is threatening to appeal and and, and it's actually said he's going to appeal. And so now the news news organization, uh, the New York Times had a great piece on this, uh, is saying we this little paper in Wausau could go under. And it's like yeah. the only source of local news there. And it, it goes to a point kind of we were, we were talking about the federal statute barring search warrants, except in extraordinary circumstances against newsrooms. What we need is a federal anti-slap statute that would yes, apply to state you. actions. Well, and, and we bought, we we tried. I'm sorry, I hate to interrupt you, but anti-slap yeah. legislation is one thing. When I was a president of the uh, Maryland Delaware District Attorney Press Association, that uh, that district, uh, Maryland District of Columbia, Maryland, Maryland Delaware District of Columbia Press Association, MDDC, we argued and and lobbied for that a lot, and we still don't have it. 
So it, explain to us what it is. I hated to interrupt, but you, you anti-slap statutes are extremely important. We have one of the strongest ones here in California. Anti-slap, slap stands for strategic lawsuits against public participation, which is a bit wordy. It's been you know, condensed down to slap because the, yeah. the, the, it, it focuses on lawsuits that are abusive and, and, and baseless from the get-go that are really meant to slap down those exercising their First Amendments through the legal misuse of the legal process. And the by a disproportionate amount of money and power versus, I mean, that's exactly part of it. the yeah. theory and, and it all comes back to Donald Trump. The New York revisions to their anti-slap statute were explicitly enacted in large part because of Donald Trump's abuse of defamation suits, his saying, I don't care if I win, I'm going to drain our friend Tim O'Brien uh, of money when he sued Tim O'Brien and Tim won the case. Um, but it's it's meant to avoid that by in a, in a significant piece of that kind of um, statute requiring the plaintiff who sues for defamation, who brings a baseless lawsuit to pay the legal fees of the journalist, of the news organization. So here, if Wisconsin had an anti-slap statute like California or New York, um, the Wausau County pilot or pilot and review, I guess is the name of the paper, could yeah. now file a motion for its attorney's fees and get it and win. And then if there's an appeal, obtain their attorney's fees on appeal. I had a case for Rachel Maddow and NBC here in California, where you're one of your favorite organizations, One America. Uh, one, yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. OAN sued Rachel Maddow and NBC because she did a piece about them. We were able to file an anti-slap motion, get the case dismissed. They appealed. We won an appeal and they had to pay five. They OAN and Herring, the, the owners, had to pay $500,000 in legal fees. And the reason that that's important is it deters people from just filing defamation suits like Devin Nunez, like Donald Trump. Yeah. But Dave emboldened these officials, just like we were talking about the uh, the other case, at the local level, business people, politicians, to try to sue to shut journalists up, to shut down news organizations. Again, a huge danger, a huge threat. Uh, that's why I think some sort of federal anti-slap statute would be extremely helpful. It, it and look, the, the uh, editor of this uh, uh, website uh, newspaper uh, said, put it in great words in the New York Times piece. She said, "quote Those dollars that they were paying, you know, to mm -hmm. attorneys could be going to pay reporters for boots on the ground coverage, not exactly. paying legal fees for a lawsuit that appears designed to crush us." And that's what it's all about. It is not only to, as a fight back, but it's to destroy the, mm -hmm. those who provide verifiable independent facts. And th those vetted facts, destroying that so you can maintain your power over the electorate is something that is, it, it's it's an anathema to the, to, to the First Amendment. And, it, and I'm it, sorry. think about it. This is a case where the newspaper won. You know, they yes. won the case at the <laughs> trial court level without a trial. And still, it's the 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 fees and the costs uh, could put them under. And, and if you go back to New York Times versus Sullivan, 1964, United States Supreme Court held one of my favorite judgments by the Supreme it, Court. It's it's one of it's the one of the, the shining lights of Supreme Court jurisprudence in my mind. The court 
establish the rules protecting speech, and it's not just journalist speech, everybody's speech, where public officials, public figures are involved, because of the this very point, that the mere threat of large damage awards in civil cases can chill speech, can chill reporting, can chill discussion. Uh, and that's exactly here, here. It's not, it's the threat plus the legal fees and the costs. It, it really, again, these two cases, recent cases capture so many of the, the problems uh, that, that the first amendment is, is facing. Yeah. You know, we need to protect the first amendment. It's under assault from all angles and in, in very, very fundamental ways. Well, as I maintain, it's been under assault for at least the last 40 years, ever since Ronald Reagan, and it started nationally. But look, Ted, there isn't, I, you know, and, and I've said this in articles and, you know, in the book, there is no, no, ab, no, no aspect of journalism that hasn't been downsized in the last 40 years. The consolidation of the media, mm -hmm. purchase, you know, like the old, uh, I call it vulture capitalist group that own several hundred newspapers, but have closed down newsrooms. I mean, you know, they've destroyed, they've limited the number of reporters. There's twice the number of people on this planet is on the day that I was born. And I think I saw a stat recently, like a fourth, a number of the reporters. How, how, how can we cover, how can we do our job, which is guaranteed under the first amendment, you know, Congress shall make no law or prohibit free speech or of the press. It's mentioned there and it's ignored. To me, we need to educate, re-educate the populace about what journalism is, about what freedom of the press is, put aside politics, put aside partisanship. We've had journalists who are conservative, journalists who are liberal in the opinion pages. We need everybody to understand that the benefits of journalism flow to us, the citizens, that it's meant to protect us and we need to protect journalism. And you're absolutely right. We need more reporters. We need to support journalism and, and stop. I mean, it's, it's very difficult because it's such it, a political tool to bash journalists. And it probably always will be. Yeah, yeah. there's nothing we can do. And then, like, the politicians are allowed to, to, to say whatever they want, you know, yeah. and, and be critical. That's part of the fun. Yeah. But but they should at least respect the institution and the role of journalists in society. Uh, and, and that, I think, that bigger picture point, and I think it used to be more, you know, everybody would complain if they were a government official or a you know, famous person about journalists, but at least they knew, hey, this is part of the price I pay. I'm a big right. company. I'm like a, I'm like a nation state. I'm going to get scrutinized. That's part of the bargain we're in. Yeah. We're and losing then, that. We need to get back to that. Yeah. Uh, so you had once said we should do a TED talk. When are we going to do it, brother? <laughs> let's 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 get it on the calendar. I'm I. You know, to me, it's what what is lacking. I love the way you talk about you know the, a, a re-education, but I really think it's got to come. It's got to come out of the oval uh, to and get people involved and get some backing behind it. You got a president who says he wants to. You know, he's all about uh, trust busting and and bu busting up monopolies. Well, damn, start with ours. And at least, you know, it was Ben Bagdickian, uh, who I loved, one of my mentors, who's at the Washington Post, said, you won't have real diversity in thought or journalism until you have a diversity of ownership. And we don't have that today. We and you think now it's more possible than ever, ever because than ever. really the costs, um, 
in terms of distribution have gone way down. Yeah. Right. And we need to support the people who gather the information that we would distribute. Well, and to teach them how to do it, because, you know, like you referred to the, um, to the event in the Rose Garden where, where I, you know, oh, it's a tough room. But the, yeah. the truth is, I don't have anything against those people who, who call themselves alternative media. That's not, that's fine. But you're a blogger. Until you have, until you understand the concept of a, a, a an editor, a copy editor, an assignment editor, at least people who can take a look at your copy and go, no, that's an opinion. No, that's that. Where'd you get that fact? Someone who can double check what it is that you're writing. You're just a blogger and you're entitled to your free speech. But I, I support small, you know, like the, I would consider the Wisconsin website, you know, that, that it's fighting this huge you know, battle over one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Those people are, I guess you would say, alternative they're you know the people who are not printed there are a lot of stuff that's online small uh independent journalism efforts that are online the the cost of the barriers of entry into our industry have fallen but we do not respect those who are trying to do the job that goes to the point i was making about letting people know what journalists actually do that yes it's a profession it's an art form it's a uh, public service journalists give up a lot of other opportunities to be journalists where they could make a lot more money Got and that right. in part because it's i don't want to compare it to you know being a, a religious you know a religious figure but yeah, because I'm no monk. yeah. <laughs> but but there's a dedication to the craft and the craft involves what you were saying gathering information checking it out determining what's newsworthy what's important to the public determining what's more what's more important than something else in terms of how you frame what's on the front page so to speak right um and and then having people state their opinion it, it's not just label it exactly and so there's this lack of respect for the craft and for the purpose of journalism that we need to reestablish that would go a long way to addressing, I, th I think, many of these problems we've been talking about. Yeah, hell, Ted, there are people in our business who don't understand it, but that's... <laughs> <laughs> that's your problem. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a, you know, I had reporters that would come to me and go, here's what I think. And I'm going, I don't care what you think. I barely care what I think. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> that's why one of my, my senior partners, when I was an associate, asked me a question about what the uh, federal rules said about something. And I said, I think that blah, 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 blah. And he said, I don't care what you think. What does the rule say? Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Go look at the rule, you know? Yeah, and so, fun. so I do think I, I see in court proceedings, sometimes when I'm not representing journalists, but I'm representing a party and there you'll, you'll appreciate this, you know, a, a protective order or secrecy or hearings right. going to be closed. And the, 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 the new breed of journalists, some of them don't realize they can object to it. Yes, and that, that that there's a First Amendment right of public access, and I've been in courtrooms back in the day where the you know the reporters themselves Would they, they still up. do it. Yeah. So Linda Deutsch, famous Associated Press reporter, who great coverage of every trial, major trial since the mid '60s. You know, she objected and just said, you know, First Amendment precludes. Uh, you know, Josh Gerstein, my from Politico, I've seen him. You know, just file briefs and and so I think. So everybody needs to to know 
the the landscape be, here. Yeah, they're, they're, in the back of the AP style book, there used to be how to approach a, a you know, and I did. Yes. That. I was I was 23 years old. I'm standing right. up. I'd been reading the back of the AP style book. I had no clue. You know, all right. Now my family's filled with lawyers, so you know, I kind of know a little bit about right. all, but, but I'm sitting there and they go, all right, we're going to close this proceeding. And I, I'm reading perfect. And I object. Can I, uh, until we can get an attorney here, I would like mm -hmm. to have my attorney here to show why this should be not be a closed hearing. And the judge goes, <laughs> remember he looked over, he goes, can he do that? <laughs> and exactly. The, yeah. The, and the prosecuting attorney said, yeah, you can do that. He goes, okay. We, <laughs> but well, yeah. We need more of that. Yeah. You we know, do. we do. Well, listen, Ted, it's been a lot of fun, as always. Got to close with a question. Has nothing to do with anything we've talked about. You're having a, a wonderful night with your wife. You're out on the town. What's What music, what wine, what are you eating? Well, probably, um, you know, little little rock and rolls, probably still my favorite. You know, so, you know, the, the Brian Karam band would be something <laughs> I would be very interested in. We'll play um, for you, brother. <laughs> a little a little cabernet would be good there probably go. probably some italian food there you know you that that sounds like a pretty good night that's a pretty good night I, i'm in <laughs> <laughs> treats on me next time it's on me brother <laughs> Ex excellent okay it's a deal i'm gonna hold you to that <laughs> you got it listen uh ted where can we find you on social media and what kind of plug do you want to put in before? so i'm i'm still i'm on x at butrus ted and i'm on threads at t butrus and really just uh, great to be with you. And, you know, I, I think these issues are so important and really get enjoyed getting to talk to you about them, Brian. Uh, yeah, anytime, man. I, you know how I, I wrote a book about it. It's one of my passions, but I really appreciate you doing it. The name of this uh, show is Just Ask the Question. The name of the book is Free the Press. And of course, you can catch me every Thursday in salon.com uh, with a column and wherever fine books and fine podcasts are sold <laughs> and, and then CNN and MSNBC whenever I get the chance. So thanks <laughs> for joining us. The, the name of the show is just ask the question. We'll catch you next time.